the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Your best financial partner. This is Business 1440. KYCR. Golden Valley. A service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Minnesota officials at this hour holding a press conference talking about the ongoing riots in the aftermath, the killing of an unarmed black man by police. So I would just be very clear to people tonight. What Governor Tim Walz speaking to the press just the moments ago about their precautions for tonight's nights, expected we'll riots. By what they will do tonight. And if you are an innocent bystander going out there tonight, you will be swept up in this. We will do the best. But thinking about the logistics of arresting someone who is in a force, wants to break the line. And what we're talking about is, under the tactics that they use, if we step into a crowd who's someone who threw a Molotov cocktail at us, the minute you do that, they're surrounding those folks. Days after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, people took to the streets in protest in cities nationwide last night, including in downtown Atlanta, where police cars were set ablaze. This is SRN News. Relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. I come from the doctor's clinic this morning, 28 staples out of my knee, and I am not taking painkillers. Why? Because I don't need to. I'm taking relief factor. Yes, it's a triple dose, but it doesn't have any negative side effects, and I am doing just fine. Thank you very much. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking relief factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three week quick starter pack for just nineteen ninety five. That's less than a dollar a day. That's truly remarkable to be liberated from your pain. For less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Go right now. ReliefFactor.com. ReliefFactor.com. This is your opportunity to be the next success story. People looking to buy a new fence in Minnesota are lucky. Lucky because unlike with other types of purchases, when it comes to buying a new fence, the choice has been made so darn easy. Only one company truly stands above the rest and has for a long, long time. Midwest Fence has not only been around far longer than anyone else and thus is far more experienced, they're the largest fence company in the state, which means Midwest Fence has the greatest variety of fence designs. You won't believe the seemingly endless styles you can choose from these days. And Midwest Fence buys in such bulk, they can keep their prices lower than other companies. That's why if you're ready for a fence, you're just plain lucky. The legendary fence company that's been making people smile since Truman was president is but a phone call away and ready to stop out and deliver a free estimate. Your turn to smile, folks. Learn more at MidwestFence.com. The Wall Street Business Network is on the air. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. Basically the worst parts of the Bible. Is it safe? It's the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. States are competing against states. Shameful. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. As an educator and former legislator, Professor Banyan steps out of the classroom and onto the airwaves to break down the local and national economic news that matters to you. Shut it down. Screw your P&L. America will pay you more not to work than work. This is a wartime issue and a wartime mobilization is what's needed. It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. This is the time for all Americans to come together and do our part. We had the greatest economy in the world. We had the greatest economy in the history of our country. I think in the end we'll be stronger for it. When will then be now? Soon. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Now, here's King Banyan. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, Business 1440. 
We are we are live. It's a beautiful day outside. I got up to I got up to stretch my legs uh, during the break and looked out at the uh, Mississippi River that's outside the office here, and and the sun is shining on it. It's gorgeous, and what a way to put me in the mood for this hour, which is uh, just going to be a blast uh, for me at least. Uh, we have uh, John Christie. Uh, he is uh, the author of a new book titled The Prince of Wentworth Street. There will be a, in, in our Twitter feed, using the hashtag pound KBRS, how to find us, if you don't follow me already on Twitter, at Banyan Show. Um, you will find a link to find the book. Don't try going to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, those places. We are cutting out the middleman, taking care of both John and uh, a small publisher. Our thanks to... John, first of all, good morning. King, how are you? Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And John, how do I pronounce the name of the publisher? Uh, Plaid Swede. Plaid Swede. Yeah, he's um, he's half Scottish and half Swedish. That's the plaid. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful! And, and it sounds like it's like a, a one or two person shop up up in New Hampshire. Yeah, I think it's him mostly. Sometimes his daughter, but it, it is a, it is pretty much a one man shop. He's an ex newspaper man who decided that he wanted to get into the book publishing business and specialize in books of love in New England. And I was lucky to find him, and he's been uh, very uh, very gracious in publishing my book. Well, it's a it's it's a great book. It's a great read, uh, John. Congratulations, first of all, as um, as someone that's written a book, although I haven't I haven't in about twelve years. Uh, I have the itch, um, and you know what that's like. Uh, John, I'll start at the end. Are you going to write another book? Uh, I've got a couple couple books in mind uh, that I've thought about. Uh, as, re- as a result of working on this book, this is typical of a journalist. You, you write one story, and you come across a couple others, and you, you probably write a few notes in them and put them aside till the time is right. Uh, so I've got, a, I've got a couple ideas, but uh, I'm still trying to... Uh, get this book out and marketed, and then probably at the end of the summer I will choose which of the two projects I want to go for. There you go. There you go. Anyway, we're visiting with John Christie, his book, The Prince of Wentworth Street, available available just uh, from uh, Plaid Swede uh, Publishing. And again, at the break, I will post a link for the book so that you can go buy it. Uh, and you should. Okay. Now, I don't know if I've said this uh, during this hour yet, but to identify, John and I are cousins. We're about, um, uh, I think, a little, a little more than ten years apart in age. Um, maybe nine. I can't. I can't. I can never remember exactly, John. Uh, so on January first, nineteen forty-eight. Okay, so so you are nine plus years older than I am. Um, I when I was a boy, I would go to visit my aunt Kay, Auntie Kay, as we would call her, and. It was only much later in life that that I discovered that that wasn't really her given name. That was that that wasn't her Christian name. That was the name that she took um, to sort of de-identify some of her Armenian heritage. Now I don't get to do that because my last name is an Armenian last name, but but she had taken her husband's name, uh, but her name was Kohar, oh Koharik, um, which just means little K, little Kohar. Okay. Did you ever learn, John, what her first name meant? Yeah, it means jewel. Jewel, like a jewelry. Yeah. W-E-L, yeah. And there are parts of her that are, I mean, there are parts of her in this book, John, that are, um, that are really touchingly sweet. She probably, she probably didn't come off to many of us as a jewel. I'm not sure I've ever told you this, but your mother was the first person I ever heard use one of the words I can't say on radio. <laughs> she could get a little feisty from time to time. She yeah, she was a little salty. Uh but she would she would tell me my dad was full of something and use one of those words. Um and 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 I was think I think 6 or 7 and he, she would just make me giggle. Um I mean, I I would go home and tell my dad, "Did you know what Aunt Kay said about you?" And finally my dad said, "I know what she said and don't you dare use that word." <laughs> She liked you a lot, uh, I, I, and 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 we loved her. We loved visiting with you. But again, we're we're a little bit different in age, John. And part of that, part of that comes into play in in this because 
I, I will admit on air, there are parts of your story that I didn't know until I read the book. And I think I thought I knew you pretty well, but like I didn't know the UNH story. So and I actually want to I want to start from there because um, as a faculty member long time here at St. Cloud State, I would say if anyone in a book ever wrote about me, what you what you wrote about Donald Murray, I mean, my 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 heart would swell to 100 times its current size um, because um, any any professor anywhere would be so proud of that. I, it's a wonderful story, and he sort of sets you on the path um, uh, to be a writer and to eventually to your career in journalism. Uh, could you talk for a moment about about him and and sort of the importance of that education in your own in your own life's formation? Yeah, I often say that that, that Don Murray saved my life. Um, not literally, but I wouldn't have had a life that I had, the career that I had as a writer and a journalist, if I hadn't accidentally turned up in his course at the University of New Hampshire in uh, 1966, I think it was, as a sophomore. I had this, uh, I just planned to be a lawyer, and I thought, I think somebody, I naively, that, and I never had met a lawyer yet, I was a working class kid, that uh, lawyers have to write these things called briefs. I must have seen that at a Perry Mason show or something. So maybe as a pre-law student, I should sign up for a writing course. So I didn't want to do journalism. That, that didn't like my thing or fiction. I didn't know how to do that or poetry. But he, he was teaching a course called Expository Writing, just kind of straight writing, intro to writing. And I signed up for that, thinking this would help me in my pre-law uh, preparation. And uh, he just became, he's this huge-in-life kind of guy. He's a big guy, ex-paratrooper white beard, big belly, and he he just takes his personal interest in students right from the very beginning, no matter whether you could write or not, and I didn't have any idea how to write. He believed that he could teach you to write, and he took a personal interest in you. He was very early in having these 15-minute one-on-one sessions with students. He wouldn't really think grade your papers. Instead, he just would base your grade on whether you did all the work and whether during the semester you got from bad to not so bad, or from good to very good. He sort of um, improvement was all that mattered him, and, and whether your commitment was there. And um, near the end of that semester, uh, I was home on Christmas vacation when my father died. He was um, a machinist at a local uh, machine shop, and the day of the day of the funeral, the day of the wake, when we was gathering at my house in Dover, uh, my aunt Mary who I call Army May in the book because I couldn't pronounce her name as a child, and so that was the name we all gave her. You know Aunt Mary. Um, very, a very nice, calm, straightforward lady. She answered the phone at the house to my mother's, you know, in her situation, and um, she's kind of aghast. Oh, my God, who is it? Oh, it's, she says to her sister, Quad. She called her Quad, which is her nickname, out of Kohadik. Quad, it's, it's, it's Johnny's professor from the university. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I, my professor is calling me, Professor Murray? What, I, did I miss the paper? I'm in trouble. I must be in trouble. No teacher had ever called our home telling me anything good. And my mother got off the phone afterwards, and she said, I, I can't believe this. That's Professor Murray, Johnny's professor from the, from the college. And he read the obituary of of Tommy, my father, in the paper, because I lived only, my town was only four or five miles from the university. He got the local newspaper. And he's worried about John not having the money to pay for tuition, because he knew I didn't come from any money. And he said, I'll, I'll make sure that when John comes back to school, that he'll have the money to finish his college education. So when I came back to school, I had a tuition grant, not a loan, a full grant to pay my tuition for the rest of the uh, my my four years at the university. Well, that's just great. I mean, it's a wonderful story. Um, but he also, I think, influenced you to be a great writer. And I, you know, I I'm listening to you tell that story just now, and and it, it is certainly a, a credit to his um, his uh, teaching to you that um, you just painted a story with your words that. Uh, I mean that's that's certainly a gift, and that gift came, I think, from the act of writing and rewriting. And you talk a lot about that. In fact, uh, there's a there's an, another piece that you've uh, done an interview recently uh, where you talked about writing being rewriting, and and I, I learned in the book that it came from uh, uh, Donald Murray, and 
and I would sit at, at UNH, and it's something that I learned from uh, Don now Deirdre McCloskey uh, in the same way. And it's the way it's the way I, I try to teach students, and it's it's cle- and it's so uh, wonderfully reinforcing to hear that. But also just the way in which you can tell us you tell a story. That's the way this whole book is, folks. I'm just gonna and yeah, he's my cousin. All right, I just be right up front. He's my cousin. But this book paints word stories like that for you, that you just heard. And there are stories after stories in here. And I want to get to, I want to, get to as many of them as I can in this hour uh, talking about them. Uh, but, John, you know, just very briefly, if we could just take a quick minute. After you leave college, it's the part that's not in the book. You go on and start writing for various newspapers. Can you touch on some of the places you you've worked uh, through your career between, you know, at, all the way up to your retirement and the, and the move to Maine? Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm out of college. I want to work in a newspaper. I had a summer internship at a weekly paper in Sanford, Maine, called the Sanford Tribune, which was uh, a fun summer as a as, as the as the local kid. And I'm out of college, and, and Don Murray, my professor, by the way, is a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer, um, says, call up this guy who's my former student, Dave Cohen. He works at this paper in Beverly, Massachusetts. Maybe they got something. You know, call him up. He can help you out. So I call up Dave. Dave says, I think we got a job here. Uh, I, I come down, talk to the editor. I, I go to Beverly, Massachusetts, which is a little way outside of Boston, and I do a tryout, and I get a job there as the uh, City Hall reporter on the Beverly Times. It's a small daily newspaper. Um, owned by a well-off local family, um, they eventually they own about three or four papers in the North Shore of Boston. They eventually sell those papers to Dow Jones, and uh, I end up working for their paper in in Beverly as a reporter, then in in Gloucester as a reporter and editor, and that's when the Dow Jones bought the papers. And uh, they, Dow Jones owned at that time twenty twenty-five community newspapers under one of the subsidiaries called Ottaway. And they had an opening at the State House in Boston, and I got that job. So I covered the Boston uh, State House for five years for all of the uh, community newspapers owned by Dow Jones. And I often say, um, you might remember Mike Dukakis, who ran for governor. I covered uh, him and uh, Ted Kennedy, you know, all the great Boston stories. Uh, later went back to be the editor of the Beverly Paper, and then went to wanted to work for the big metro paper, so I went to uh, get an offer to go to the uh, uh, Tribune Corporation paper in South Florida, the, the Sun Sentinel. I went down there as a supervising editor, stayed there for 12, 13 years, uh, eventually left the newsroom and became the uh, went to the business side and became the vice president for strategic planning, Dallas strategic planning, and the M&A worked for them and, and various other positions. Um, and by the way, before I'd done that, I'd been the writing coach of the paper. So I used a lot of Don Murray's techniques as a writing coach of that newspaper. And I was VP for strategy. And I uh, wanted to come back to New England King, back home. Uh, my mother, Andy Kay, was getting older and ill. And my brother, Gary, one knows from me in the book, was not really, uh, was living with her, but not equipped to take care of her very well. So I had an opportunity to come back to run two newspapers in central Maine that were only about an hour and a half or two hours away from Dover, New Hampshire, where my mother was. So I took that opportunity uh, to be the publisher, which is kind of like, you know, the, the, lead, the, the lead person in a newspaper organization who can sort of be involved with every aspect of the business. And that those two papers were in Augusta, Maine, and Waterville, Maine, and they owned by the Seattle Times Company. I worked for them for nine years. When they sold, I got to retire officially from work, but do want to retire from journalism. And um, that's my wife and I, Naomi Shalit, uh, founded a nonprofit uh, news service organization when those things were just beginning to be the, the thing to do. We specialized in investigative reporting about the state of Maine, about government. We're a nonpartisan, not an ideological group. No sacred cause, we often said. Uh, there's one in Minnesota, the Min Post, lots of differently, but they were also one of the early nonprofit organizations. And Neil and I ran that organization for eight or nine years, and then uh, about three years ago, um, I, I still consult with them, but we moved to Gloucester, Massachusetts, and I 
finished working on my book. I hope that's well, that's, that's in a nutshell. <laughs> there you go. So that's who we're talking to. That's John Christie, uh, author of The Prince of Wentworth Street. The link on Twitter at PoundKBRS is up for you to go get the book directly. We'll be back after this, visiting with John Christie uh, here on The King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Whoa, look at all these options. You could fill an entire warehouse with all the different ways you can stream Business 1440. Top shelf choices include TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com, our free app, and Radio.com. We've had our lives flipped upside down recently, and for many of us, things just got a lot rougher. But we've faced tough times before, and we're going to pull through this because, well, that's what we do in America. At Term Provider, Big Lou has a message for you. If all this craziness has you protecting the ones you care about, don't let it stop when we get through this. Keep the protection rolling with a life insurance shield around your family. For over 30 years, Term Provider has been providing affordable term life insurance at better prices and with better service, including policies that don't need an in-home exam. As for Big Lou, he's just like you, spending time at home with his kids, too. No matter what your medical history, prostate cancer, heart conditions, high cholesterol, or if you're taking prescription medications, at Term Provider, we can help you find a million dollars or more of term life insurance at affordable rates to fit your budget. There's no obligation, so call now for your free quote. Call 800-555-2085. That's 800-555-2085. 800-555-2085. Let's welcome Jeremy Camp. Hope comes home with I Still Believe. You can download it now at WatchSalemMedia.com. From the creators of I Can Only Imagine comes the uplifting true life story of Christian music megastar Jeremy Camp. I'm supposed to be with her. I can't explain it. I just know that. Jeremy's hope and faith are put to the test when tragedy strikes. You're going to be healed. What if I'm not supposed to be healed? Don't say that. I Still Believe is an incredible story of musical stardom, the heights of love, the depths of loss, and the healing power of the human spirit. One love can change your life. You chose willingly to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. Witness the true story of Christian music star Jeremy Camp and his journey of love and loss that looks to prove there is always hope. Starring K.J. Appa, Britt Robertson, Gary Sinise, and Shania Twain. Own I Still Believe on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital now from Lionsgate at WatchSalemMedia.com. That's WatchSalemMedia.com. If you could build the world's greatest radio station, where would you start? We'd begin by creating a live station that's able to provide breaking news updates. Then we'd install some of today's top political voices behind the mic. Finally, we'd craft a convenient way to listen with a specialized mobile app. No, it's not a work in progress. It's on the air now. AM 1280, The Patriot. Intelligent Radio. Online at am1280thepatriot.com. Your Amazon smart speaker is now your all-access pass to financial strategists, economic pros, and more. Tune in with Alexa. Just say, play Business Radio 1440. That's play Business Radio 1440. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, Business 1440, visiting this hour with John Christie, author of The Prince of Wentworth Street, An American Boyhood in the Shadow of a Genocide. And we haven't touched on the boyhood or the genocide yet, John, so I suppose we better get to get to those elements. Um, cool. And I, I'll take them in that order. Um, you spent some time at the beginning of the book saying you, you wanted to figure out some things from your own past uh, for for a variety of reasons, you had reached uh, reached the age where you needed to sort of reconnect with uh, some things that maybe you hadn't known about. Um, and you start with you start with the genocide, which I'm going to put off to the next segment. But eventually, you get around to talking about growing up as a kid in Dover, New Hampshire. I grew up in Manchester. Our our hometowns were about thir- are still about thirty to thirty five miles apart. But they're both New England mill towns. I was just talking in the last hour, John, about about cities and the fact that cities were considered grimy places where at one point actually people lived for shorter lives in the city than they did in rural America. But now that's really reversed. Um, what was it like to be in a mill town in New England in the 19, 
late 1950s, 1960s, the period that you write about? Well, first off, we were, I was unaware I was in the mill town because it was a period of, of naivete. Um, maybe it's hard to imagine now. We didn't even have that much television. The television was out of Boston. If you wanted news, you had to be home at 6 o'clock to watch it for 20 minutes. There was a local newspaper that covered local news. Uh, my dad got a Boston newspaper, a tabloid, which not not like today's tabloids, but it had a little bit of news in it. We didn't pay we didn't pay much attention to the world. Uh, we we just were interested in our own own lives, and so yeah, there was some social strata a little bit. There were kids who were really poor who came to school not well dressed with not decent food. But most of us had working parents who worked in mills or had some other kind of uh, semi-skilled or perhaps a skilled job. A skilled job would be pretty high class at that point. Uh, life was going to school, doing your homework, playing with your pals, making sure you were home for dinner, going back out, playing some more, playing sports, going to church on Sunday, uh, you know, watching a little bit of television here and there, not much. It was It was... A lot of the time was your own time, and it wasn't very regimented. Um, if you went, if you played in a baseball team or a basketball team like I did, you went there on your own, or your dad dropped you off, and that was it. And he picked you up afterwards. It was a long ways away. You were you were pretty you were very independent, and uh, and it's a sense of freedom I didn't realize we had because until I realized how kids were raised, and you know when I raised a kid when. Uh, in later time. So it was, it was a free time it, we, we weren't poor, but we were working class. There was always a decent meal. There were always enough clothes, you know, one or two pairs of shoes a year. Uh, but, um, we didn't, we didn't know there was really much else except we watched television. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you, you sort of compare that, uh, you know, like the Donna Reed show or, or Leave it to Beaver to um, to the life that uh, you had. And, and for the first some years, you're actually in a tenement building where uh, your your our grandmother is in another house and you get to interact with all of those aunts and uncles. So you actually have an extended family around you for the first years of your life. And you are for until your brother is born, you're the only you're you're the only one that's coming over to the house. You're the only one there. What was it like to grow up around all of those others who were, let's think, I'm thinking, your Army May, as you call her, the youngest, is probably, what, 14, 15 in your first memories of her? Um, she probably is a little older than that, and the youngest is actually Lillian. Yeah, so you're right, you're right, right. 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 Well, you know, I, I did, the title is The Prince of Wellworth Street. But I go, who, the, who the heck do you think of being a prince, John Christie? Well, I often say that if you ever saw Wentworth Street, you know no princes came from Wentworth Street. Um, it was a, a dead-end street with this three-unit tenement in the middle of it, uh, across the street, a house with broken windows, and at the end of the street, the big Irish family, and uh, one other guy, Mr. Wentworth, who the house, the street was named of. That was the street. It was rutted. Yeah, you went down the end of the street, it was a big uh, field that used to be a pasture for cows. And that was the atmosphere uh, I grew up in until we moved. I was about 12 when we moved. And, yeah, our, our grandmother, Nana, owned the, owned the building. It was purchased by her husband as an investment. Uh, but he died when um, when she had six kids, the youngest of a baby. So she had to raise these six kids by herself. My parents and I lived in the middle unit, and the third one was rented out. And and it was, um, I, I that's why I'm a prince. I I would leave my little unit, go upstairs, go up the stairs, take two steps, go up the stairs to Nana's house, walk in, and it was like you know the prince or the king arrived. Uh, <laughs> Johnny's here. What does he want? Do you need a cookie? Do you want a dinner? Do you want to have us read you a book? Would you like a sandwich? I was uh, can imagine having. Uh, all these somewhat older aunts and uncles who are in their late teens and early twenties, and suddenly this this child arrives and uh, they they dote on me and pay attention to me. So my parents paid attention to me too, but they both worked. Both my parents worked. They worked different shifts in different mills. 
So I didn't have the uh, disadvantage of having parents who went to work all day long and I didn't have anybody to be with. I had the advantage of having Nana and her and her sons and daughters to care for me and dote on me and uh, treat me like I, you know, it's a second coming. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and that really comes out in, in the book. Uh, and, my, and my parents, uh, my own parents, who married in 1950, so you would have been, you'd have been a very small child, and they had already started to leave Dover and head, and head to other places, first to briefly to D.C., and then come back for a little bit to Dover before they move up to Manchester, where I was born, uh, in 57. Um, you know, that, you, you, you show in the book that, 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 that tie, but there's also one other thing in the book that really comes through that connection to a group of boys that ends up being called the Henry Law gang, uh, Henry Law being the street that you moved to when you were 12. Uh, and you know, Gang has a different meaning now than it does then, because gang was in essence really your your social structure with the rest of your neighborhood. Isn't that kind of lost now? <laughs> really, our kids don't have. And one reason why I think you know when we talk about uh, gang activity in America, it's like, well, there was something there before. I mean, your your group had some antics, but they seem relatively mild. Even 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 the 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 incident with the rock and and the night and the ten minutes in jail seems quaint compared to what we call gangs today. Yeah, our gang was more irreverent, mischievous, mildly criminal in sense. In sense, we you know we had a rule of things were abandoned for a long time. We could take them. Uh, so that was a little little on the criminal side, but no one ever got arrested. We were really good natured people. We never we never hurt anybody. We never got any sort of damage anybody's property or got any fights. We were just we just wanted to be rebellious and irreverent. And uh, I I I don't know if that happens very much. I see kids driving by on my bikes with, with uh, on their bikes in my neighborhood with their fishing poles going down a little over ten minutes from the ocean. Going down to fish, and I feel really good about that. Looks like they're doing, you know, the sort of thing I would have done back then. But I, I, I suppose it's not nearly uh, as free as we were then, and, and nearly as unsupervised as we were then. Uh, and there's not nearly as creative. We were terribly creative, at least because we had a gang leader, this fellow in the book named Mac, who who was a very creative fellow who turned out to be, who was also the smartest kid in his high school, I think. Uh, we had, a, I think, a special aspect to our, our group activities because we had this uh, uh, brilliant, creative guy, uh, his name was Jim McEnany, who always had a notion we could do something that we didn't think we could do. Like, we, we, we admired California, not knowing anything about it. And so he said, well, sit this picture on the album cover of the Beach Boys, they've got a surfboard, let's go, let's go surfing. And we couldn't even buy a surfboard when we wanted to do that. We had to make our own. He said, yeah, we could make our own, which we did. Uh, so that was a kind of uh, creative, mischievous, uh, and adventurous stuff that we did. I don't, I don't now, your mom would buy you a surfboard. Yeah, and, 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 and by the way, the, the, the story of going to Long Sands and riding your surfboard, mm-hmm. I mean, I froze to death just reading it. I mean, I, I've been in that water when it's that cold. Holy cow, John. It's kind of hard yeah, to believe you know, he did it. People not from here don't believe that we can swim in the main ocean. And many people even from here can't do it. I just grew up doing it, so I didn't know that it was, it was a, 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 a courageous thing to do. But, yeah, the water there is always yeah. All right. We're t- visiting with John Christie uh, here on the King Banyan Show. His book, The Prince of Wentworth Street, An American Boyhood in the Shadow of a Genocide from Plaid Swede Publishing, uh, it, you can link to it off of uh, my Twitter feed uh, at Banyan Show, or just use the hashtag pound KBRS. We'll be back with more from John after this here on Business fourteen forty. In the Army National Guard, family means everything. They really appreciate what she's done as a sister as well as a soldier and, you know, supporting their country. Our parents, they were really supportive that all five of us would join. 
Family members that are soldiers in the Army National Guard inspire and influence, setting a path for others. It's validating knowing that, you know, I kind of did my part to make sure this is what they actually wanted and that they feel the same way I do. I'm really proud that we get to help shape the future. And I know that my sisters are going to be amazing soldiers. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard instills pride that you and your family will share in. A lot of pride, and they're just out there doing something every day and then serving the country as well. I got my education because of the Guard. I got to travel a little bit and experience a whole different culture. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. Are you tired of all the garbage that Hollywood puts out? Why not redeem the time you're spending at home with your family and watch something that affirms our American values? For a limited time, you can purchase No Safe Spaces, starring Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla. Go to nosafespaces.com to stream the number one political documentary of 2019. Free speech is under attack now more than ever. Politicians on the left are threatening to permanently shut down churches and synagogues. And we can't even open a debate about when we return to work. There is no more important time to watch No Safe Spaces, the movie that the hard left does not want you to see. Go to nosafespaces.com. Use the code SAVE25 to get 25% off your purchase. That's SAVE25. This offer is only available for a limited time. Send the message to Hollywood that you support movies that support your values. Go to nosafespaces.com today. If your house needs new windows, you may be justifiably concerned about the upcoming parade of three-hour window presentations. High pressure, high priced, and all say they have the only window in the world that is right for you. Well, this year, do the opposite. I'm Ryan with My Three Quotes, the one-of-a-kind free service that's the exact opposite of the typical window-buying experience. First of all, I'm respectful of everyone's time. In less than an hour at your house, I'll have all the info I need to email you installed quotes on any window brand from multiple local contractors. Secondly, we find the best options based on your needs in your house. Whether it's Marvin, Anderson, or local vinyl brands, I know where to get you the best prices and quality. Thirdly, zero pressure, guaranteed. You move at your pace, and I'm always available to provide more options or meet you at showrooms until you're confident moving forward. When that time comes, I'll write up the order and do a walkthrough inspection when it's done. And did I mention I have the same free process for siding and roofing? Visit my 3 Quotes online to set up a free appointment. That's the number three, my 3 Quotes. Welcome back. King Banyan Show, Business 1440. Visiting with John Christie. Cousin John, as I like to call it. The, pr- the Prince of Wentworth Street. It's not that I like to call him that. It's true. He is. Uh, his aunt, uh, his mother, my Aunt Kay, used to have us come over to the house. And, uh, and, and, and we always loved your place, John, because there were potato chips. Um, <laughs> That's right. Which almost... <laughs> Which almost no other house in the family had, just the but you all. But I wanted to get to the you know the other half of the story, the the shadow of of a genocide uh, in this in this book because there is a there's a there's the story of my uh, my of my of our grandmother. I was going to call her mine, like you weren't here for a second, um, and and let me start here. You were not aware that the ta- that this recording had been made until sometime well after it was done. Am I right? Oh, well after, yes. Yeah, and and your awareness. I mean, and and I could tell my own story, but I, but better from you. Um, up to that moment, how much time had you taken to think about the Armenian genocide? Well, not not terribly uh, aware of it, uh, aware of how Turkey denies the genocide, aware of the numbers, but you know, it was my awareness was uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, that was it. I had I had not read anything about it uh, uh, except for one memoir. Uh, uh, about it because I had met the author of the memoir at a book event in Florida, and so I, I read okay. that. It was very. It's called uh, 
Lapdog of Fate by Peter Belakian. Oh, Peter Belakian, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. great book. I read that, and then I kind of put it, I learned something. Then I put it aside after that until I came to this uh, point in my life where I want to know more about who I was and how I became who I was. And, you know, uh, two things, two two impulses here. One is being a, a Catholic, being grown up in, in, in Catholic schools. You know, the first question, the, the catechism is, who made you? And, of course, we know the answer in the catechism, but it's a great question about figuring out who you are. And, you know, the other impulse was to find out, uh, as an investigative reporter, which is what I was a lot of my career, is you, when you want to investigate something that you think is wrong or suspicious or at least important, you, you go back further and further and further. Why did this happen? Well, why did that happen? Why did this happen? Who passed that law? Why did they pass that law? Who was behind that law? Um, so who, the farthest back I could go, I figured, was to this must have been an important event in our lives, and our family's lives, a genocide and yeah. a murder. Yeah, the murder, the, the murder of uh, our great grandfather, or our great grandfather, uh, which, um, which uh, I believe correctly, our grandmother was the last member of the family to see him before he was killed. It's 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 it seems likely she definitely um, saw him as he left the house with his uh, his weapons to confront the the Turks who were. Uh, who were basically marauding in, in, in the villages. So if she, if she wasn't the last, she was among the last, yes. Yeah. So so for those of you who haven't read very much, you may have seen the movie The Promise um, and uh, with, with, with Oscar Isaac. And, uh, and, and in that movie, um, the scenery and where they ride to to find the Armenians who need to be saved – that is, in fact, the same area that uh, our grandmother came from, and and you know, again, John, you're you're maybe it's because because I have I have those same memories because and I went to see Nana, you know, very less often than you did because we lived in another town, we lived we lived in another city, and had to drive the 40, 40 45 minutes to come over, but that smell of coming into the house and the onions and the and the meat and and pilav that was being made, you tell those stories and you realize and and you make say this so well in the book that you are you are a product of that through the food and the fact that the smell of the onions hung on Nana's hands. I didn't even know what that smell was till much later. I just knew that was a <laughs> Nana smell, right? Yes, and and I hope everybody had a grandmother like we had, King. Uh, yeah, because I do too. she was so warm and protective, and happy to see you, and she made you feel like you were the world when you were in her presence. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I I really feel I really feel that very much, and 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 that story, and and so and so you know we we came about understanding our Armenian heritage in different ways. And I, and, and yours is the one that's important here, but you decided some, some point to figure it out. You, you'd seen this one book uh, from Balaki and, and uh, the black dog of fate. I'll put up a link to it too. It's, it's a tremendous book and I would recommend anyone in, interested in the history to read it. It's, a, it, it's, it's tremendous. We, he actually uh, did a reading here uh, in St. Cloud once uh, many, many years ago. Um, and, um, uh, friends with one of our writers, it turns out. Um, and when you when you uh, discover that and you start to dig back, it's probably worth telling the story of how you discover what's known in our family simply as the Tammy tape. Well, I, I started asking around. I, I liked it to all our families. I need to know more about Nana, where she came from, what happened to us. Anybody got the story? And everybody had little tiny bits and pieces of various aunts, but they kept saying Aunt Mary and Aunt Lillian, uh, the two daughters who were still around. Oh, oh, well, you got to get that tape that Cousin Tammy made. That Cousin Tammy tape. Tammy taped Nana years ago. She told it all on the tape. You got to get the tape. I was, Where the heck is this tape? Who's got this tape? I keep asking around, asking around, and you know who you know from the book because you read the book. Who gives me the tape is your mother. Yes. Your mother, my aunt Nancy, who's married to uh, Joe Banyan, 
uh, very, uh, they don't say that's your mother, very smart woman, very astute, and I don't think she ever um, forgot anything. She's a very well-organized woman. Uh, she said, oh, I- I've got the tape. It's on a CD, the recording. I'll, I'll send it to you. So one day, luckily, this, this jukebox shows up with this CD in it, and uh, and I'm on a on a car ride, and I said, I listen to this in the car ride. It was probably, I'm thinking it's probably nothing. It's Tammy. I don't even know who Tammy is. It's a remote cousin. She's much like a, a schoolgirl, which is probably going to be a silly schoolgirl to you. It's going to be nothing. And I put this, I put this CD into the car radio, and, and there, and she asked that question, Tammy does, when were you were born? And then on comes Nana's voice. Oh, I was born in 1899. At least that's what day my mother told me. And I won't try to imitate her accent. Lillian could do it great. But she's got this immigrant accent that's, that's, that's part Middle Eastern and part German because she was raised when she's an orphan by German nuns in Beirut. And, and, and she tells this incredibly dramatic story in this voice, this the voice in my head from growing up asking me if I want a Tollhouse cookie or uh, some some more shish kebab and some and some uh, Syrian bread, which everybody else calls pita bread, but we know what we call Syrian bread. What we yes, yes, yes. Uh, and 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 not only is a voice just rocking me back into that life and that love of her, but then she starts telling the story. This woman never she she went to school for a few years in an orphanage. She has no education, but she's an intelligent woman. And knows how to tell a story. And, you know, as Don Murray taught us, show, don't tell. Don't tell me how this food smells. Show me how it smelled. And she starts talking about all the events that happened to her, and it's full of detail and specifics that are visual, uh, that are tactile. Um, and it's, it's the most important one. When she, she's out in the fields, and when this, this massacre of Armenians begins, and a trip, she doesn't know about it. She's out there in the pasture in this village way up in the hills of uh, what is uh, currently Turkey. And a Turkish boy yells to her, hey, uh, they're killing the kafirs, they're killing the kafirs. Kafir is the Turkish word for infidels, for Christians. And the Armenians are Christians, and the Turks are not. And this this massacre that began the city 150 miles away, Adna, uh, has come to their little village. And she runs home to tell her father and her mother what's happening, that, that, that they're killing us, they're going to kill us. And she runs from the mulberry trees, and she remembers, now she's 90-something on this tape recording, and she was nine years old when this happened. She remembers the mulberry leaves tickling her cheeks. Now, there's a detail that a novelist would have in the story. Right, right. She, I mean, it is. Uh, I, I have it, by the way, the... the the reason it was on a CD because it because when Tammy t- records it, it's on a it's on a tape, it's on a cassette. Um, it got burned to CDs by 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 me, in fact, um, because <laughs> well, because I, I was concerned because you did you did a lot of the original research that I relied on. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that. But I, I just wanted to make sure that 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 voice would always be preserved. I so I digitized all all that tape. Um, you know, some years ago and have stored it in several places. So, you know, even if a CD Thank disappeared, God. we can always reproduce it, that that uh, she lives forever. We got to take one more break, John. When we come back, I want you to tell the story of how you go back to find the place where the mulberry leaf strokes Nunna's cheek. We'll be back after this. We're visiting with John Christie, The Prince of Wentworth Street, his book, available from Plaid Swede Publishing. Uh, just look just look up Prince of Wentworth Street or johnchristywriter.com to find it. You will find the book, and we'll be back with that after this King Banyan Show Business 1440. Well, I followed up to the state. Business 1440 is KYCR Golden Valley. Being a teenager is tough. There's the constant pressure to be liked. Endless worrying about college. Cyberbullying, high expectations, all the negativity. There's no question. Being a teenager is tough. And what do Minnesota's teens do when they want to block out the noise and clear their heads? We play! 
research shows that teenagers who participate in high school sports have lower stress levels, more confidence, and greater self-esteem. And then there's the biggest benefit of all. High school sports are fun. Not just fun. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> Encourage your teenagers to participate in a sport or activity when they go to high school. They'll stress less and smile more. And they'll be laying the foundation for a happier, healthier future. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address, all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Are you a member of our rewards program? Yeah. I had the card here somewhere. We've all been there, rustling around for that rewards card you can't seem to find. At Business 1440, we simplified the process. All of the perks, none of the hassle. It's the Business VIP Fan Club, where you'll get early access to tickets for our events, exclusive content, prizes, and more. Sign up at TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. Salem Surround partners with your business to deliver custom digital marketing solutions. Surround your target audience wherever they engage, search, surf, socialize, or review to keep your business top of mind. Learn more at Minneapolis.SalemSurround.com. Limitless access to business and investment strategy. Listen to Business 1440 with our free app, your smart speaker, or with iHeart, TuneIn, and Radio.com. We live in the Twin Cities and invest worldwide. Welcome back. King Banyan Show, Business 1440. Obviously, we could go two to three hours with our guest, uh, John Christie, my cousin, author of The Prince of Wentworth Street. Um, but uh, we only have about five minutes left, John, in the show, in the hour. And I wanted to be sure we talked about your trip to find that place that that Nana came from, because it really is sort of, you know, you you decided to go on this whole journey without thinking that that's where you would end up, and that's and yet there's there's where you went. The story is fascinating. I'm just going to give you about three minutes to tell it. Well, I wanted to go back to a village to claim it in her name, and it felt like the right way to end the story. Uh, but I didn't know the name of her village. Every time she told us where she came from, and everybody in the family said Swedia. Well, Swedia turned out is like a district, like a county. So I threw a, uh, I got a guide who knew a way around there. He's an Armenian woman who runs a guide service to ancient Armenia, which is part of Turkey we're going to. And uh, we, we got there, and basically, to take a brief, we discovered that we were in the part of the district that had the traditional Armenian villages, but there were six of them. So which village was his name? I can't reclaim six villages. I gotta be I gotta get the right one. So we had two clues. One were the mulberry trees. And secondly, there had to be in her village or near a village a factory because they sold the leaves and the mulberry trees to the silk factory. The mulberry tree leaves are the food for the silkworms. So can we find a village with mulberry trees and a factory? Well we did talk to some folks and yes, there was a factory in these villages somewhere, but it closed down in the nineteen thirties. We don't even have mulberry trees anymore because the factory closed down and all the mulberry trees we let go and maybe we just grew fruit trees instead. But we walked around all these six villages and, and, and one and my guide who knew the trees and I again said, Oh, hey, there's, there's there's a mulberry tree. There aren't many, but there's a mulberry tree in this village. Yes, but is there a factory? And my guide and my driver, who was Turkish, and both the guide and the driver could speak Turkish, 
all these villages were taken over by Turks because the Armenians were all forced out or killed. And they talked to an older woman who was sitting in front of a little local convenience store type place, very rudimentary village. There's hardly anything in it. The, the homes, they're all hundreds of years old, uh, made out of stone mostly. It's so, oh, oh. She points down the street about a few hundred yards, maybe a hundred yards, in the little Y in the road. Oh, that, that's, where the, that, that's where the factory was. The silk factory was right down the road. So I'm there with my son, Nick, who came with me to uh, share this experience. And also, you know, I might need a younger guy to help out with a few things. And uh, we walk down there, we look around, and you can't tell what it is exactly. But we do see some big concrete tubs where you might wash leaves. And we conclude that this is probably this has got to be the factory, and the mulberry trees are here. We walk around; we don't know where. Her, we don't have an address or anything because they rented. Uh, we realize we're, we're in the village. It's a village of Bithyus, which is high above. Uh, it's on a mountain, Musadar, Moses Mountain. Uh, Forty Days of Musadar is a novel about that time. Great novel for people who've read it about the Armenian genocide. And you can look over way, way down the Golden Valley. Uh, the sun is coming through, and you can see the turquoise Mediterranean out there is a little sliver. And we find a field, Nick and I do, and I don't know if it's a field or not, but it looks like the field where the mulberry trees probably grew, where the Turkish boy said at the end of the killing the Kafirs, where she ran back to the village because there were cows around there. And, and we don't know if we get the right village or not, but it's kind of silently we agree. We have found where she came from. We have found where this happened. We have reclaimed the village. And as I say in the book, you know, they, they could try to kill Nana, they could try to kill a family, they could try to wipe out Armenians, but I was there. I'm an Armenian. Nick is there. He's an Armenian. And they didn't wipe us out. Nana's family survived, and we were there to reclaim her village for her. And that's and how... On behalf, yeah. And on behalf of all of the members of that family, John, thank you for doing that. Thank you for making that journey. Um, it, it, it reads so well, and I just want to, it, it, as we wrap up, first of all, thank you for spending the hour with us today. Greatly appreciate it. The book, I'm holding it up on radio like that's going to help, but it's The Prince of <laughs> Wentworth Street uh, uh, from Plaid Suite Publishing. You can find the link at Pound KBRS uh, or my Twitter feed at Banyan Show. Thank you, John Christie, for spending time with us today. Wyatt, thank you for the production work today as well. And, and listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen today. We'll be back with you next week with another edition of the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Looking to disinfect, American Pressure has solutions for you. Our mobile disinfecting mister is a cart featuring a high-pressure pump, 15-gallon reservoir tank, and misting and atomizing nozzle with a 50-foot applicator hose. Great for doing large areas and quickly wetting surfaces. We also have Vital Oxide, an EPA-registered disinfectant. Did you know my mom's going to have a baby? She is. Will it be a boy? Or will it be a girl? We don't know yet, but we heard the heartbeat, and my dad said this is going to be someone very special. You mean like being a president? Or maybe a doctor? Well, probably maybe like a singer or dancer, I think. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. We know that every baby is a miracle and has the potential to do great things. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives or assistance or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. I can't believe we have to make this commercial. It's ridiculous. You'll think it's ridiculous, too. Listen to this. This commercial is about, well, it's about parents being rude at high school athletic events. Ridiculous, right? It gets worse. Studies show more than 75% of new high school officials are quitting because of bad adult behavior. So now there's a shortage of refs here in Minnesota in almost all sports. No officials means no more games. 
Is that what you want for us? Come on, parents. It's time to grow up. Cheer for your team. Be proud of your children. But stop being so ridiculous. And don't make us run another commercial. Because we will. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. Reminding you to always practice good sportsmanship. Dad, guess what? What? You are going to be a grandfather. That's great. Not too long ago, moments like this with my daughter would have been a challenge. It was a long road for me to find myself again after Vietnam. It was my neighbor Jim, another Vietnam veteran, who finally convinced me that I could still connect with my family and find that fulfilling life I'd lost. And I went for help down at the VA. If I can take that first step after almost 50 years, I know other veterans can too. Visit maketheconnection.net to find out.